Second Timothy, take your scriptures and we'll work together there. Second Timothy, I've been thinking this day about the what a humbling thing it is to be died for. Rarely will anyone die for another person, though for a good man or woman, someone might possibly dare to die, Uh, God has demonstrated His love this way, at just the right time, while we were sinners, when we were as far away from God as we could possibly be, He did the largest thing He could possibly do, and He died for us. Say amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. How... How do you, how do we respond to a God who died for us? I mean, it's not like there's a time where you could say, okay, even Stephen. This is what we owe God, that we should know Him, fear Him. Worship Him, love Him, praise Him, preach and bless Him, 
Exalt Him, glorify Him, magnify Him, sanctify Him, give thanks to Him, rejoice in Him, obey Him, trust in Him, resign ourselves to Him, submit ourselves and all our things to Him. That, that's what we owe God. Someone asked uh, the great reformer, um, what did he think was the goal of the redemptive work, the redemptive activity of God? Did he think that the goal was to save men and women? And he shocked everyone in the room when he said, no, that's not the goal. God's redemptive goal isn't to save men and women. The goal is that saved men and women would live their lives to the glory of the God who saved them when he didn't have to save them. See, one of those makes you and me the prize. The other makes how we live our life the prize. This text this evening speaks to some degree about that. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, just two verses this evening. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. In a large house there are vessels not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special use, and some are for ordinary use. All who cleanse themselves of the latter will become special vessels, dedicated and useful to the owner of the house, and ready for every good work. I'll read it again. In a large house there are vessels not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special use, some for ordinary use. A man or a woman who cleanse themselves of the ordinary will become a special vessel dedicated and useful to the owner of the house and ready for every good work. Now the text presumes that we even want to be ready for every good work. And it speaks to us about uh, um, priorities and value structures that um, really can't be uh, determined by, well, I can't really determine yours, you can't determine mine. I mean, I've, I've got some ideas that work for me, so to speak, and maybe you do too, and if we wrote them down, there might be many of them the same. But it really gets down to the guidance of the Lord on your life, of what your life is about and what you ought to be doing and how you ought to live your life. Um, that isn't as clear in our society as um, maybe it once was. Certainly isn't as clear as it needs to be. In the U.S., there are 77 million, what they call baby boomers. Of those baby boomers, one-third of those, those are 77 million, would identify themselves as a born-again Christian. But when you begin to ask them what they mean by that, the definition gets um, a little spooky or goofy or something like that. They'll identify themselves as spiritual, but they don't want to be called religious. Um, they've had some spiritual or emotional experience, but a lot of different things fit under that heading. 
And by saying they don't really want to be considered religious, I'm not a religious person, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, but not religious. They're, they're saying something about themselves, because the, the word religion, it, it is a word that means to bind, to be bound to a set of principles, a set of teachings. Christianity is a religion, it is a, it, it, it is spiritual, capital S, the Spirit of God to small s, my spirit, your spirit. But it is a religion. We are bound to a set of principles and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of this group that says they are Christian, but, but really prefer to not be called religious. Only about a tenth of them attend what we would consider a Protestant church. 20% don't belong to any church. A third of the ones who say they're born again also say they believe in astrology and reincarnation. In other words, um, you could call yourself a born-again Christian, but the people who call the Psychic Friends Network, a lot of them call themselves born-again Christian. And probably the guy down the street who's living with his girlfriend and smoking pot has had some sort of spiritual experience and considers that he is a born-again Christian. What, what does it mean? What, what, is there some response to the God who died for us when he didn't have to die for us? Is there some sort of binding? Is there some, some uh, uh, what, what pulls us together? What, if, for, for example, um, only about... Some 20% of persons today even believe that there are such things as absolute truths. A very high percentage of people say that they read the scriptures uh, uh, on some day other than Sunday. But of that group, only about half of them think that the Bible actually collects, or is a collection of absolute truths. How about you? Is, is the, the Word of God, can you find absolute truths in the Word of God that you can build your life on, take it to the bank, so to speak, that you, can, that you find it to be true? It was true yesterday, it's true today, it will be true tomorrow. Are there things that are true for me and you and you and you? Or are they just true for me in my situation? Maybe not so true for you in your situation. And if there are absolute truths, are we bound to those truths? Have we, have we um, uh, self-selected, I make the choice, have you made such a choice that you are committed to the teachings of a particular book? <clears throat> well, this particular message tonight is a message that talks about what we are offering to God. It, it, it may, in fact, include your offerings. But it is more than just what you put in that round plate when it is passed in front of you. It's about a life that is built or maybe not so built 
on principles, teachings, a being bound to the leadership and the direction of God. In a large house, there are vessels of gold and silver. There are also vessels of wood and stone, wood and clay, I mean. Uh, some are for special use, some are for ordinary. If a man or woman would cleanse themselves of the ordinary, if a man or woman would say that there are things in my life that are of more value than others, and I'm going to give God the absolute best, I'm going to give Him the best that I have, the best time, the best energy, the best thinking. I, I, I am bound to Him for what He has done for me. And I'm going to give that to Him. Then that man or woman would become themselves a special vessel set apart and useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. Is what you are offering to the Lord um, useful to Him? Or does He get the leftovers? Does He get uh, kind of what's just... I mean, we're all busy. We all have stuff to do. And um, we're all pulled in a... A bunch of different directions. Is what I'm offering to God actually useful to Him in real time? I pastored in a town in Kansas that um, it was at the juncture of Interstate 35 and what was the Kansas Turnpike. And I think you know that on turnpikes... Uh, there is every so often, so many miles, there is an area where you can buy gasoline and there's a certain restaurant or two there. Usually the choices are very slim and it's not necessarily the best place to stop, but it's there. It's on the turnpike. That's what you have to, to do. Well, we, we lived in a town where that juncture was and, and, and really our claim to fame was we were the last free exit on the interstate before you hit the turnpike. And so everyone who pulled through that town often would stop before they had this long stretch of miles on the Kansas Turnpike. Now, when you pulled up to the stop sign in this town, uh, most of the town, in fact, nearly all of it at the time that we were living there, was um, off to the left. You pull the stop sign, look out across, and down the Cottonwood River Valley, and you could see the town, the lights of the town at night, the, the, there it was. And uh, then if you look to the right across the field of natural blue stem prairie grass, an, uh, an acreage of perhaps maybe as many as 20 acres, but, but in a rectangular shape, so it was the short distance, you could see the Church of the Nazarene with a, with a, with a white steeple and a light on top of it, and the Nazarene Parsonage just next to it. Well, I want to tell you that, now I don't have this number exact, but I think it's, it's pretty close. 99 out of every 100 persons who needed help during the years that I lived there would stop and come to the Nazarene Church for help from me while I was a pastor there. I, I can't really prove that number, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 99 out of 100. They would stop and stop and they needed help. You know, I mean, and I understand you pull the stop sign, you need help. 
Where am I going to go? My goodness. Oh, oh, there's a church. I'll just go over there. And the house, I'll just knock on the door. And so, I'm just telling you, I had a lot of people stop and ask me for help. Now, this is another one of those deals where, kind of like the when I was telling you about being aggravated on a Wednesday night. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't really. I don't know what to say to you. Uh, some sometimes I helped them, and sometimes I didn't. Sometimes their stories made me so aggravated. I, I said, "You kind of deserve what you got. Go on." And and that's probably not right. Um, but I, I just, it just would shock me. And I, I, I don't. I, I'm not really trying to make it sound like that was the right thing to do. I'm just trying to tell you how it was. And people would stop and they'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm headed down to El Paso to see my mother. She's, she's in a hospital just across the border and I've left St. Paul and I don't have any money. Well, I wouldn't have left St. Paul for El Paso with no money, would you? And so he's needing money. And I, well, I'll buy you gasoline. No, I need money. Well, okay, would, uh, well, uh, okay, I'll give you some money, but do you need some food? I do, but there are 26 of us in the van. So, I mean, I'm just kind of going crazy trying to figure this thing out. And I, I just really, sometimes I just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to help. But other times I did. And um, I want to tell you a particular account of uh, helping uh, a fellow. Uh, he came, and uh, I was in a good mood, I guess. And um, uh, he 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 said he needed some groceries, and so uh, we had a we had a food pantry in in our church. I don't I don't know if you have one, but we had one, and uh, our food pantry is kind of like everybody else's food pantry. We we had stuff in it that nobody and nobody wanted themselves. You know, uh, the labels were gone, and so they put that in the food pantry or. Uh, the can was dented or, yeah, I mean, you know, you just, you, you couldn't get three cans out of there and make a meal. It was just terrible. But anyway, I said, I'll get you some groceries. And I was in such a good mood that I, that I actually brought him up two grocery sacks full of groceries, the, the paper kind. And just, and, and so I bring him up and I set him on the table and, and I want to tell you what he, what he did. But look, look at me, please. Do, do not judge him. You, you judge me. He, he began to take things out of the sack, item by item, and kind of give me a running commentary on their value to him. Please, please don't judge him. He pulls out a box of carnation instant milk. Do you know that bridge that crosses the Cottonwood River down south of town? Yeah, I know that bridge. I live under that bridge. You think I got running water for this? And if I did, do you think I've got a pitcher? You're you're having trouble not judging him, I can tell. See, I'm the one who who didn't take into consideration if what I was giving him was of any use in actual reality to him. I give him a can of pork and beans, he doesn't have a hot plate. 
And it sent me down a, a, a path in my thinking about what I'm offering to God. Is what I am offering to God actually useful to Him in real time, in real situations? I think that's a question that's being asked by this text. You got some really good stuff. You got some ordinary stuff. We all got it. The man or woman who wants to be useful to the master and ready for every good work prioritizes what they offer to him. Now, that, that might include your finances, but it, it might also include time and energy, creativity, what you're gifted at. Is what you are offering to God actually useful to Him? It, it kind of cuts across the idea that's so prevalent in evangelical Christianity today. What, what is in this for me? What is God doing for me lately? What are the promises of God for me? Am I living beneath what He has promised to me? And so much of evangelical Christianity today seems to be built kind of on that kind of uh, tier structure. Well, well, this cuts across that. This isn't an issue of what God could be doing for you. God has already done. If, if God never did another thing, if He never answered another prayer for you ever again, He has already done the largest thing He could possibly do. And in reality, He absolutely owes you nothing. I, I find us to be so cavalier uh, and listen, don't own that if you don't need to. What, what I'm getting ready to say, don't, don't own it. I'm, I'm not, there's no finger pointing. But I, I find us so often to be cavalier about how we talk about God and about what we think He ought to be doing or is supposed to be doing or what happens or how disappointed we are if He doesn't do that. I, uh, I have a story to tell, and I know just as soon as I start the story that a few people are going to look because they know there's a, we have another person here who kind of has this fear, and um, I don't really, it's just how it is, and so, um, but it's a story I need to tell in this sermon, so... Um, <clears throat> Kelly, if you'll forgive me for telling a story about a lady who's scared of bridges, um, just bear with me, all right? Um, but I was, uh, I had this meeting, this revival meeting one time. I was in Florida, and uh, we went out one night to eat after the service, and it was at an uh, international house of pancakes, and at that restaurant... They, they have on their name tag where they're from. 
Like, and, of course, none of the names were really inter- international. I mean, I'm telling you, Vicksburg, Mississippi is not international. <laughs> Little Rock, now that's another country. But anyway, so uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. It just slipped out. But um, anyway, uh, but, but she, she, you know, we were in Florida, and, and she, her thing said uh, she was from a town in upstate Michigan. So I said, being the talky, friendly person I am, I said, well, how did you get down here? Now, I thought for all the world she was going to say, well, my kids moved down here, and if I want to see the grandkids, I'm going to come down here. Or, I got so tired of the Michigan winters, I came down here where it doesn't snow a lick. Or, you know, I just was expecting some kind of answer like that. Well, this is what she said. How did I get down here? Oh, she said, I've got a fear of crossing bridges. And so I went to my... Uh, hypnotist and I got my hypnotist to hypnotize me to think I was in a bubble and between the hypnotist and God and some prayer she said I got down here well I was fascinated by that answer God and a hypnotist she had them both she had all her bases covered and so I just said to her which one were you most worried about like did you think God might not be able to pull it off, and so you better get the hypnotist to do his deal. Or were you not quite sure of the hypnotist, so we're going to undergird him with a little bit of God. Which one of those were you the most worried about? I thought that was a brilliant question. The pastor kicked me under the table, right in the shins. I said, forget it, I don't want to know, I'll take the bean soup. And went right on. I mean... Please, please, lady, please, don't, don't undergird your hypnotist with God. He died for you. Hold Him in some place of higher value. Your response to Him, what you offer to Him, needs to be more than the rabbit's foot in your back pocket. Is what you're offering to God... Useful to him in real time. That's the question I want to ask you tonight. Um, If we rally to this, then um, the work that God has for his church and specifically this church and even more specifically for the giftedness that he has given to you will be ready and available. And if we stiff arm it, then we're back to some sense of uh, living on our own resources. And frankly, we don't have enough resources to do it ourselves and pull off the deeply spiritual work that needs to be done. God cannot use the vessel if... um, If the love that he has shown to you, you are denying showing that to somebody else. It isn't a big sentence, but let me say it again. If the love he has shown to you, and that's big, you are denying showing it to somebody else. The mark of spirit baptism 
is not... Hmm, let's see, let's see, let me go another way. There are some churches that believe that when you are baptized with the Spirit, you'll speak in an unknown language. And you could go to those churches on any given Sunday and observe that phenomenon. We say, oh no, that's not the mark of being baptized by the Spirit. The mark of being baptized by the Spirit is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. We say that's the mark of being baptized by the Spirit of God. But then, then we tolerate bitterness and racism and anger and keep records of wrong. It, uh, this is the weak spot in the holiness movement, our unwillingness to love others the way God has loved us. That's the weak spot in our movement. It, the, our weak spot isn't finances or properties or creativity or brightness or uh, a qualified clergy or uh, laymen and women who are devoted to Him. Our weak spot, our weak spot is that we do not love others the way Christ loved us. Do you think there is any love that hasn't been offered to another person because of the color of their skin? Do you think there is any forgiveness that hasn't been granted because what that person did is just too painful? Oh, I know the scripture says if I want to be forgiven, I have to say I forgive them. So I'll, I'll say it. I forgive you. But, but it'll never be the same. We'll never be close again. Well, that, that's not how God forgave you. When God forgave you, he separated your sin as far as the east is from the west to remember it against you no more. He he can't use the vessel if what you are offering to him in the category of love is something less than how he loved you. It's the weak spot. If we lose this deal, that's where we're going to lose it. God cannot use the vessel if if there is concealed sin in your life. What do you think? A man had two sons and he said to the first... Go work in the vineyard. And the son said, I won't go. But later, he came to his senses and changed his mind and went. He said to the second son, go work. And the second son said, I'll go. But he didn't go. Who, who do you think does the will of the father? Do you think it's the one who said, I won't go, but changed his mind, came to his senses and finally went? Or do you think it's the one who said the right thing, but when it got right down to it, didn't do what he said he would do? Who do you think does the will of the Father anyway? 
It's not the ones who, who, who know what to say and when to say it, who know when to raise their hand and when not to raise their hand, who've, who've been around long enough to know all the ins and outs, but if they aren't necessarily, but, but if there is concealed sin in their life, he can't use that vessel. My, 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 uh, my, my thought might be, look at me please, my thought might be that, that there are persons in this room with concealed issues in their life that, that, that none of us know about, and okay, but he does. And you might be able to, I don't know, fool the most of us for quite a bit of time. But the vessel that you're offering him is not in keeping with what he's done for you. And I want to say this to you. Whatever that is that you might be concealing, it is not bigger than God. It isn't too big to forgive. And He is not powerless to help you overcome that. And the first start, the first start is the admission of it and asking Him for help. And few things could happen this week that would be more blessed in your life than to finally say, I've carried this long and far enough. He can't use the vessel if there's concealed sin in your life. Here's a healthy pattern for the examination of conscience. Have God in the pursuit of sanctity in Christ been the goal of my life? Have I placed my trust in false teachings or substitutes for God? Have I avoided the profane use of God's name in my speech? Have I broken a solemn vow or promise? Have I honored the Sabbath by avoiding unnecessary work? Have I shown Christ-like respect to my parents, spouse, and family members? Have I shown Christ-like respect to legitimate authorities? Did I abuse drugs or alcohol? Was I impatient, angry, envious, proud? Have I forgiven others? Have I been just in my responsibilities to my employer and to my employees? Have I been pure in thought and word? Have I permitted sexual thoughts about someone to whom I am not married? Have I given myself to sexual gratification? Did I deliberately look at impure TV pictures or reading? Have I stolen anything from another? Did I fulfill my contracts? Did I gamble away my resources? Have I desired what belongs to another person? Have I spoken ill of another person? Do I keep secrets when I need to? Have I contributed to the support of the church? See, 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 see let me ask you, what, what do we owe God? How do we respond to a God who died for us when he didn't have to? 
Is what we are offering to him actually useful to him? I mean, we would never say to him, you're, you're lucky to get me. And you're lucky that I'm even giving you this amount of my time. And I got a lot of friends who wouldn't be at church on the evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. And so you ought to just be glad about that, God. We, we would never say that to him. I would never say, God, you're really, you're really blessed that I'm one of your preachers. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that to him. But I've got to make sure. The homeless man taught me this. I, I, I'm capable of giving him to giving someone bags of groceries that doesn't meet their need. Totally oblivious to what's really going on. I may be the only one that lives at that address, but I don't think I am. Is what I'm offering to God useful to Him? Now, there's one way to take this sermon to kind of step back from how this might relate to me personally, spiritually, and look at it in terms of how, how, how would this truth perhaps impact the mission of this church in this community? You're, you're a fine-looking crowd. You're a fine-looking crowd on Sunday morning. But you and I both know we have friends and co-workers who do not know Christ and they need to know Christ. They could be here. It may well be that some of them might be here if, if, what, if we were more serious about what we were offering to God. God can't use the vessel if the love that he has given to you is being withheld from others. He can't use the vessel if there's concealed sin in your life. He can't use the vessel if you're not honoring the holiness of God. As he who called you is holy, you be holy in all your conduct. As I said last night, I think that's more than just doing a few holy things. It's how you live your life, how you live it in relationships with others, and how you live it in relationship to Him. If we're not careful, we just, you know, there's that scripture where, where Jesus says, do, do not give what is holy to dogs. If we're not careful, we'll just give it away. Teachings like, do not be yoked with unbelievers. Or bad company corrupts good behavior. That, that ought to ring us up sometimes on our friendships, on our deep friendships. Who, who is actually influencing you? Some say, oh, well, now it's got, you know, if, if I'm going to evangelize them, I've got to be friends with them. Well, I understand that. But you can't be letting them weaken your walk with Christ. And if they're weakening your walk with Christ, you need to cut them loose. Bad company corrupts good behavior. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And, and even in a sermon like this, you know, uh, uh, you, can, you can find plenty of folk who, who, they don't really want you to talk about the holiness of God. They want you to tell them how to be happy. Or they don't want to talk about the character of the Godhead. Just, you know, tell me how to overcome eating disorders. Or give me five steps for raising happy teenagers. 
This is not a spiritual massage. There is, it is a religion that is bound to a set of teachings. And the teachings are to bring glory and honor to God. And the teachings are to direct us in how we do that. And the, res- the, the response for, from us is to be in keeping with this incredible gift that He has given to us, new life and forgiveness of sin. And He has quickened our spirit. And we, we have received His Spirit. And we have opportunity to live with an eye towards heaven, knowing that whatever goes here, this is just part of the deal for right now. But there's coming a day. We're eagerly awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He comes, He, he will fix this. And He will take us to be with Him. That, that's our hope. In my life and in yours, there are potential issues of, you know, what needs to be cleansed and parted with. And this text says, uses the cleansing phrase in a different way, doesn't it? If a man or woman would cleanse themselves. Most of the time in the holiness tradition, when, when we hear the word cleanse or cleansing, Used and we preach sermons from it, we talk about the Spirit's work at cleansing the heart of a person. And that is exactly right, and that's what he does. But this text is making a statement about a different way of living in relationship. If, if a man or woman will cleanse themselves. Now, I can't cleanse my heart the way God does, but I can clean out the closet of the junk in my closet. And I can come to the Lord and say, Let's get clean. And I can come to the Lord and say, forgive my hatred for persons of that color or come or that person who has hurt my feelings or whatever. I am uh, by by personality type and temperament. I'm a very sensitive person. It was uh, my my family always teased me about that. In fact, they had very uh, they had nicknames for me that. I won't tell you because I don't want you to call me that. But um, uh, the, and, and they were wrong for doing it. They were just so wrong. But, um, you know, I was just always, and, and I'm a very sensitive person. I, I can tease, but I can't really take it. Don't, don't try to tease me back. It hurts my feelings. I can dish it out. But anyway, I'm, I'm, and, 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 and I'm a fixer. I'm also a fixer. Any other fixers in the room? I'm a fixer. Well, well those two characteristics... Uh, uh, overly sensitive and a fixer. Two terrible characteristics to have as a pastor. I, I, I made more messes trying to fix it than you could shake a stick at. And I was always getting my feelings hurt when people didn't mean anything like the way I took it. And you may know people like that. Don't, don't be looking at your, who's sitting next to you or anything. But it's just the way it was. Now, now I'll tell you, that's the downside or as some would say, the dark side of that temperament. Here, here's the upside. I can also tell when you're hurting. And I can also tell when you're telling me the truth or not. And I can tell when there's more to a story and you just don't want to talk about it. The downside is I wear my feelings on the sleeve. The upside is I can tell when you're hurting. 
Now, I have about as much chance of changing that temperament as I do my eye color. But here's what I can do. I can offer that temperament to God and help Him to strengthen me in the downside and make sure that on the upside, I use it every chance I get. You think about your life. He has given you gifts for ministry. He has given you gifts for ministry. I, I don't know who you think is the greatest Christian you've ever known. Who, who, get that person in your mind. Who do you think it is? Uh, Billy Graham? Mother Teresa? I don't, I don't care. Who, who, don't say it out loud. Just you got them in their mind? You got, the, you got that there? All right, now look, look at me. The, the heights of Christian attainment are available to you. Billy Graham was not effective because God said, I like Billy. I like Billy better than I like Mike. No, what happened was Billy said, whatever, whenever, however, I'll do what you want me to do. And the more he said yes, the more God used him. And the more he said yes, the more God used him. And the more he said yes, the more God used him. The more you say yes, the more God will use you. He has given you a gift, and you, and you. If, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, He has given you a gift to use. But are we offering that to Him? Are we saying to Him, uh, uh, I, I offer that back to you? Is, is what you are offering to God actually useful to Him in real time? The Evangelical Church last year spent uh, $40 billion in church growth materials. The average Evangelical Church in North America last year grew by seven. And of those seven, five were transfers from one denomination to another. So for our $40 billion, we increased this puppy by two. We've thrown some money at it. We've run the preacher to enough seminars. It remains to be seen how the kingdom of Christ could actually be affected if the people he died for made a decision about what they were actually offering to him. If a man or woman 
would cleanse themselves from the latter. It's not that the common and ordinary is necessarily wrong. It's just that it isn't the best. It's not what you value the most. You hadn't put it as your priority. Then that man or woman would become themselves a special vessel set apart, useful. It's the word, it's the holiness word, hagiosmos, set apart, sanctified, useful to the master of the house and ready for every, every, every good work. The work of God is out there, ready to be done. He's just looking for some folk who are ready. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, uh, this, uh, this night we've gathered in your house and we have enjoyed uh, fellowship together, fellowship of your spirit. It has been good to sing songs and how I was uh, just affirmed and pleased as we sang the songs about the cross and surveying the wondrous cross. Lord, we, we do not spend enough time contemplating the cross. We should, we should contemplate it more. It, it, is, uh, it is so much bigger than the jewelry we wear around our neck or even the, the wooden cross we put on a wall for remembrance. That the God of this world and this creation would come to earth as a man and lay down uh, his power and carry Mike Benson's sin. is uh, more than I can get my hands around. And I, I want to both thank you and to say, Oh, Father, may I be offering to you a vessel that's useful to you in real time. Forgive me for the times I've been so consumed with my career or my position or how something was affecting me and was not as concerned for how that affected the kingdom. So now be with uh, the brothers and sisters in this room. Uh, e each night has been a special night, Lord, a quiet night. 
and you have helped us at prayer time. And we would believe again that uh, it may well be that uh, in your heart you would like to talk to some of us tonight before we go home. And so, Lord, in keeping with that, I'm going to take just a moment and give us opportunity to come and pray. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you tonight and you would like some time to talk to Him before before you go, just slip up from your seat and come and find a place here to pray. This isn't about the haves and have-nots. It's about people who want to move closer, want to help God more, want to make sure the kingdom goes forward. We're finally willing to deal with areas that are not right, and they, they know that this is a very good time to talk with the Lord. You want to come and pray before you go. Clear. All hearts clear tonight.